Take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We continue our study of this. We've been in this for a number of months, and we're taking the, the book of Philippians verse by verse. And today we get, I think, to one of the keys that unlocks this whole thought of rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I tell you to continue finding your joy in the Lord. So remember that the book of Philippians is being written by the Apostle Paul while he's in prison. He's been in prison for four years. As a result of that, um, the gospel has actually gone further in different places than Paul ever imagined. So he could find joy. Hey, even in life's roughest circumstances, you can find a deep-seated great joy that wells up with happiness that finds its way to a visible expression. It's, it is possible. It is absolutely possible. Paul proved it. While he's in prison, lots of things had happened. Prior to that, he had been beaten. The Jews hated him. The Gentiles hated him. Wherever he traveled around, he was uh, under attack. He'd been shipwrecked a couple of times. His body had been broken with Roman rods. It had been whipped open by Jewish stripes. So this man, is, he has seen it all. Meanwhile, for four years in prison, he's got some of his brother pastors, his fellow preachers, bad-mouthing him, saying, oh, Paul, he thinks he's innocent? Why is he still in prison? That guy, you can't trust him farther than you can throw him. Tell you what, stay away from Paul if he ever gets out. Don't let him come to your church. Soon as you see him, close that door. You get him out of here. Don't, you don't have anything to do with that, that Apostle Paul type person, all right? So all of this is going on, and Paul can say, all right, Philippians, you need to put your joy and find it in the Lord. You know why? Because circumstances change daily, if not minute by minute. They change, right? Circumstances cannot be trusted because one moment you're happy, and then something happens, and you're sad. One moment you're riding high, and life is great, and the next day, the very next moment, a storm comes through and knocks down a few things in your life. Circumstances, people, you put your confidence and your joy in people and circumstances and things, you are going to be so, so miserable, so sad. But when your joy is in the Lord, how often does the Lord change? Never. He is always the same. You can trust him. You can lean on him. You can talk to him. He never runs away. He is always, always, always there. So Paul says, all right, Philippians, I want you to know the purpose of my life. It's all about Christ. For me to live, it's about Christ. And to die, it just gets better and better and better. So no matter what man does to me, all he's doing is pushing me closer to Christ. And if I get killed, wow, I'm there already. So no problem with me. Meanwhile, church, I want you to know that your church right here is a setting for the gospel, like a, a setting for a ring. The gospel is being displayed by you in your conduct day to day. And how the people of Hermantown and Twig and Saginaw and Esco and Cloquet and Duluth and Superior, how those men and women out here view Christ and the gospel, although he's infinitely worthy and infinitely valuable, how they perceive his value and worth is going to be based on our lives, our manner of life. So let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. How does that happen? We're all committed to Christ before we're committed to anything else. Christ is our greatest passion. He is preeminent. He's in our thoughts. It's not about our agendas, our rights, our preferences. It's about Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're committed to the community. This is a body of believers. Nobody can say, you don't belong here. Nobody can say that. Nobody can say, I'm way more important than you. 
Man, I deserve this. You know what I deserve? I deserve a lake of fire for all eternity. So anything I get that's not that, I'm actually, by God's grace, doing well. So then we're also committed to just communication, candid communication that's caring and, and open and we're communicating, just like the body communicates with itself, and it is healthy and it grows. Then Paul said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vainglory. Nothing. The one word that's going to destroy the church, ah, it's not even just one word. It's even one letter, believe it or not. It's the word I, right? The letter I. It's so simple. All it takes is that little letter to knock a whole church down. <laughs> I. I want. I expect. I demand, I, I, be careful. It's a deadly word. Well, then Paul says, we're going to forget the things that are behind. We're going to press toward the mark of Christ-likeness. And we're going to walk in a, in a mature manner worthy of that. And if you, if you don't quite agree, well, God's going to change your mind about that eventually. So just let's start walking towards Christ-likeness and pursuing our goal. Then in chapter 4, he brings up two people, Yeodi and Syntyche. And he says, all right. Got a problem. There's a problem with joy and unity in the church, and so let's get that straightened out. Yeodia, Syntyche, you two women be of the same mind in the Lord. You both, they were both loyal, laboring servants of Christ, laboring side by side with Paul. But something happened. Something came up that fractured their relationship. And now their attitudes had changed toward each other, and towards the church and towards the leader. I mean, it just, it does. It just, it, it affected everybody. Paul said, you got to deal with this. Be of the same mind. Sisygus, Gus, you get involved. Clement, you get involved. The rest of you fellow workers, pray and support and let's, let's do this. And then he says in the context, let your gentleness be known to all men. Remember how I said that last week? Gentleness, it doesn't mean you're just like weak. Like, oh, okay, everybody can walk all over me. I'm gentle. No, gentleness is a huge word. It means I'm going to lay aside my rights and things that I could demand and expect. I'm going to lay them aside so somebody else can go. And it was Abraham and Lot. God gave Abraham all the promised land, all of it. But when it came to strife between Abraham and Lot and their herdsmen, Abraham said, Lot, I don't want any issues with you. I don't want any strife. God gave me the land 100%. I could kick you out and send you home and I would be right. 100% right to kick you out of this place. But I'm going to defer to you. You choose the land you want, and I'll take the leftovers. Of course, Lot chose the best land, Sodom and Gomorrah. That was like the Garden of Eden. And Abraham got the rocky, terrible soil that you couldn't plant a thorn in. It was so bad. But that's gentleness. Yeodia, Sintiki, not only get of the same mind in the Lord, have the same passion back, and just realize it's about something bigger than you, but also... Be the first to defer and say, oh, yeah, I'm not, this isn't going to be the thing. This isn't going to do it. All right. Anxiety comes in, doesn't it? Anytime there's issues, anxiety. And the Philippian church was anxious. Man, I don't know what their meetings were like of worship and praise, but they were anxious. And Paul now reminds them, the Holy Spirit does through Paul, to be anxious for nothing, but here's what you do to get rid of that anxiety. You know that anxious feeling when in your heart you're just like panicking and you, <laughs> you know, um, here's what you do. You talk to the Lord over and over through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You just talk to the Lord. You let your request be made known unto God. 
You go to him and you talk. And sometimes it's a short talk and sometimes it's a long talk. But you just talk and you say, Lord, here's what's going on. Here's how I feel. You know, be honest with him. He already knows all of those things. But we're just honest with the Lord and we talk and talk and talk. And then what he does is he doesn't fix the circumstance necessarily. He doesn't solve the problem. He doesn't deal with all the issues. But he does something greater than that. He gives you his peace, which passes all understanding. You don't understand it. It's like you've seen the picture of the painting of a raging storm and there's a rocky cliff and angry waves crashing against the, the rocks and the lightning in the sky and the dark clouds and the wind you can just tell is bending and moving everything and the picture looks chaotic. But in the center of the picture is a little bird's nest on one of those little crags or crooks of the rocky cliff and a mother bird sheltering and calming her chick complete peace in the midst of chaos did you know that's a promise of god in the bible absolute complete peace of mind and therefore heart in the midst of all sorts of things going on is that divine is that awesome praise the lord right all right praise the lord But now Paul's going to go on. So here's the verse. I already read it earlier, but let me read it again. Verse 8 and 9. This time I'll add 9 in there. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtues in it, any moral excellence, if there be anything praiseworthy about it, brethren, Meditate, think on these things. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Listen, everybody, these do, do. Do you know what's going on in these two verses? God is telling you, I'm going to give you a joy and a peace that the world cannot offer. The best, longest day at, at Valley Fair. I mean, I haven't been to Valley Fair in so long. I heard the price of tickets, and I don't think I'll ever go again. Um, but listen, the best day at Valley Fair, that's a joy that passes as soon as your sweaty feet uh, and your bur- sunburned head and your sick stomach with all those treats. You know, that, that's not a joy. God has given a promise. I'm going to give you a joy and a peace that will settle your heart. But here's how it comes about. It doesn't come about just by... Uh, some kind of supernatural miracle, and you just happen to be the lucky one that got it. There's something that we do that brings about this peace and joy that God wants so desperately to give us. It is in our thought life. It is to take control of our thinking, which I can tell you this, our culture, are, they are not thinkers. We are visual now. We are a visual culture. We get our emotions and our feelings from a quick picture, and that's all we get. Where are the people that read? Where are the people that meditate and memorize and think about it over and over and over? They're gone. They're, they're few and far between. You got, you got, you got 80-second news. You got 20-second clips. You've got images of things all over the place that stir our emotions and feed our mind. But what we're missing is some serious biblical thinking. And we get serious and biblical in our thinking. There is a joy and a peace that is incredible. Now, I don't know. I don't know much about this, but 
Back in World War II, they wanted to build a road from Alaska to the lower 48. It was called the Alaska-Canada Highway. And it was, a, now it's mostly paved, but back then in the World War II and up into the 60s, it was dirt. And there were some muddy and some pretty rough sections from Alaska down to the lower 48. But there is a sign that I, that I saw. There was a, I wasn't there, but I found it on the visual internet. So, you know, see, I, I, that's, that's good. I found, there is a sign that was up there in the 60s. As you went into Alaska, and here's what the sign said. The sign as you were entering Alaska said, choose your rut carefully. You will be in it for the next 200 miles. The road was so full of ruts that you had to choose which rut you wanted to follow. And if 10 miles down the road, that rut went off, so did you. If 75 miles into Alaska, the particular rut you chose, because they were so deep, that you couldn't get out and go to a different rut. You were, once you chose your rut, you were there and you followed that path wherever it led you. Choose your rut carefully. And I want to tell you, you have the ability to, this morning through the word of God and the Holy Spirit to choose the rut that you're going to think in carefully because the rut that you're thinking right now is leading you some, someplace. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. What you are thinking about right now is determining direction. It is determining what is going to happen in your life next week, next month, listen, next year. Things that you're doing next year, should we still be alive and the rapture not have taken place? Listen, people, a year from now, next July, the things that will be going on in your life are a result of thinking patterns you have today. You have chosen a rut, and it is taking you someplace. And what God wants you to do is choose the rut that leads to joy, peace, fellowship with your Savior. That's what he wants. And he's going to give us this prescription for it. Is, is this pretty great that God tells us what to think? I know some of my students, when I'm talking to them, they're like, Mr. Wita, um, you don't let the Bible tell you what to think, do you? What were they just doing when they told me that? They were telling me what to think. Do I want to listen to some 10th grade boy tell me what to think about? Or do I want the God of heaven to tell me what to think about? Anybody who tells you, don't let God teach you what to think, they're telling you what to think, and they don't know anything. So trust the God of the word and the word of God for what does God want us to fix our minds and our hearts on? Because, listen, here's some some quick illustrations that I, I wrote down. The church. I'm going to run you through how important your thinking matters. You come to the church for the first time, it's exciting, maybe. You like, maybe you like the music, maybe you like the preaching, maybe, I mean, just, it's, it's just fun to be here. It's good, there's a joy, there's a spirit, and you love it. And you're enjoying people, and you're enjoying fellowships, bonfires, times mini-golfing, oh, you're just, wow, what a blast, you know, get together and go in the van and do this and that, and just having a blast. Why is that? Because you chose a rut, and that particular rut, that particular thought pattern's bringing all sorts of things into your life that are pleasing and good, or whatever, some, something happens. Like Yaodia and Sintiki, something happens. You get ticked off. You get hurt. Something doesn't go your way. Now what? Here's what happens. Why are we starting five minutes late? This church should start on time. My time's valuable. Why are we starting five minutes late? Why are we singing four hymns? 
I prefer three. Preaching 40 minutes, 20-minute messages are all we can handle. Same church. We start five minutes late, just about every week. Sing the same number of songs, preach the same amount of time. Everything is fine until you choose a rut where all of a sudden you're critical and you're thinking, I don't like this. It didn't bother you before for years, but now it does. How about this? Your pastor. You write a kind note saying, yeah, I love what the pastor is. Good Bible teacher. Love him. Love him. Happy birthday. Happy Merry Christmas, whatever. Um, And then something happens. Maybe a, a sin is confronted or something happens. And now you're in a different rut. And you think, I don't like that guy. Do you know, in the some 18 years of ministry, I've gotten the most tender, beautiful card about ministry and shepherding. And within weeks, 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 I'm the same person. I mean, I haven't gone off into sin or, or pornography or adultery or something, but I get, a, I get a note maybe that says, you creep, I hate you, die, get out of here. I don't, I don't. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute, it's, th- it's, it's our thought life. Spouses, spouses, you get married. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. Love her. Man, she's friendly, kind. Can she laugh? Bubbly, hospitable, great cook, tenderhearted, loves people, loves the gospel, loves Christ. Can't find a flaw with her. Seriously. And then... <laughs> okay, I stop. I stop. I stop. I stop. But you, get, you know if you're married, you've been there. You know, all of a sudden you look at that person and say did I really marry her? Or better yet, she's looking at me saying, did I really marry him? You know, why? What changed? Did they change? No, they were still a sinful, depraved, flawed, warted human being when you married them. They were. They were still flawed, warted, full of sin, chock full of sin, but you just didn't see it because you love them. And then all of a sudden, you're thinking, oh man, I do really, really love you, but I just don't like you right now. You know, that type of thing. Do you see how important our thoughts are? If I put my thoughts on my house, at one time it brought me great joy. Now I put my, my mind on possessions and it just makes me miserable. The car sounds funny. I bet the kayak has a leak by now. I mean, I, I hope not, but it probably does. The house, the house that I used to love, every place I look at the house, do you know what I see? Something that's not done. I just, I'm like, I, just, I don't like our house. I want, I want a house that's done. You know, isn't that true? So you look at people, you look at possessions, you look at houses, and we can all be critical. We could turn a fine eye on anybody and say, oh, I could come up with a list of 10 right away maybe, or whatever, you know. So it's a matter of, that's why this is so critical, because what we're putting our, our heart and focus on is, is setting the direction. It's the rut that we're going to spend the next 200 seconds, 200 minutes, 200 days at. So let's talk. It's, it's a really, it's a battle for your, your mind. Here's what Paul says. Here's what, the, here's what God says through the writing of Paul, verse 8. Finally, brethren, 
whatever things are true. You know what true things are? I'm going to give you some quick examples. True things are things that are not fantasy. They are reality. They are real. They are genuine. They're truth as opposed to lies, of course. But the word isn't truth compared to lies. It's truth compared to fantasy or things that are not genuine. Like reality TV or soap operas, that, listen, that is not reality. That is not how real life works. Trust me, that is not how real life works. You need to think reality, real, true thoughts. Here, I'll give you an example. Psalm 73. Asaf says in Psalm 73, I love it. Get a chance to read this this week. Jot it down. You don't have to go to it now, but just jot it down. Psalm 73. Here's what Asaf says. Asaf says, blessed be you, God of Israel. You are good. You are awesome. You are great. You are glorious. Verse 1. Then he goes on and says, but I got a problem with you. I'm critical towards you. Because all the evil people prosper. All the evil people, they, they live riotlessly. You know, they just, they're, they're pagan and they're wicked. And yet they live at ease with lots of possessions. I don't get it, God. You're not fair. Me, I have washed my hands believing you. I have trusted in you. And it's all in vain. Why am I even a believer? I don't even get it. Do you see? His, he's not thinking true thoughts. He's thinking I don't get anything on earth, and they get everything, and God, you're not fair, and God, I say you're good, but you're really not. He's just not thinking true thoughts. Then it says, about verse 15 or 16, then it says, until I came into the sanctuary, until I walked into the temple, then I knew. Then I, then I got truth. The truth is, God is good. We have sinned. All sinners will go to hell, but those who believe in him will live forever. And then I knew the end will perish and I will survive. See, that's truth. That's true thinking. Asaf at the beginning of the Psalm 73, he's miserable. He's, he's just, he's angry, he's frustrated, he's irritated, he's critical. He's got a bad attitude, a bad chip on his shoulder. And then partway through, he got out of that rut. He got out of the rut and he began to think true thoughts. You are good and you did this and that's what's going to happen to the evil and I'm your child and this is what's going to happen to me and everything's going to be okay. See how true thoughts just, that's why we concentrate on, what's true? Here's what's true. Jesus Christ loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. One of the greatest theologians of all time had traveled around the world and taught in, he had taught all over. He had taught in jungles, and he had taught in mountains, and in valleys, and cities, and in countries. And towards the end of his life, when he was a very old man, somebody came and said, Oh, great theologian, what is the most powerful thought you've ever had out of the Bible? He goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the best thought. Isn't that true? And that I have trusted in him and I am part of his family. How has he, how has he accepted me, partially or fully? fully? Fully. I'm fully accepted. Am I part child of God and part child of wrath? No, I'm all child of his. How much inheritance do I receive, all or some? All. I mean, listen, on and on. That's truth. And when I go back to truth, my heart just wells up with joy. You can be, you can be okay, there's, there is rush hour traffic at the corner right now until maybe next year. The cars line up back there. And once in a while, if, if I'm leaving and, and I have to get stuck in traffic, I'm like stuck in traffic going, this intersection, it is just so slow. I mean, people turning left, it takes forever, you know, turning left on Midway. 
if I'm not thinking true good thoughts of, of four, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, you know, I, I just get, like, irritated. I'm like, oh, these people, don't they have any other place to go? Aren't there any other intersections in Hermantown? Why this one, you know? But as soon as I remember, I'm a child of God. He loves me. He died for me. He's given me life. He's taken me home to heaven someday. I don't care how long I have to sit there. I'm, like, in a mini church service outside in my car. Think things that are true. Think things that are noble. The word noble means serious-minded, not frivolous, not, not surfacy, not, not just the, the mundane things that the world offers. Think serious thoughts like the noble Bereans. The Bereans, here's what they did. They heard Paul preach a message, and they didn't even take his word for it. They said, we want the copy of the scriptures. We're going to look it up. We're going to look at every single word. Is this what God said? Talk about serious thoughts. That's what we need. We need men and women, boys and girls, who are serious about God's word because that's where true thoughts come and that's where noble thoughts come. They come from God's word. But you put how much time we spend in God's word compared to how much time we spend on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever you call it, which one gets more attention? Okay? You talk about how much time do we have in God's word with some serious truth versus Hollywood movies, TV shows, reality shows, soap operas. I mean, I, I just can think of things like MASH, but that's been off the air for as long as, as I've been an adult, I think. You know, what do we spend more time in? Whatever rut we choose, we're going to spend the next 200 days there. And if that's what I'm feeding my mind, that's what I'm going to get. I'm going to be treating my wife like some of those creeps on TV treat their partners or live-ins or whatever, you know? Why do I want to do that? Why would I feed my mind on that so that becomes my behavior when I could be thinking noble, true thoughts about how Christ loved the church and that's how I love Melissa, right? How about just things? What are just things? Just things are right. They are just right according to God's holy standard. We need to think right things. True things, serious things reverent, respectful things, and we need to think of right things. What does God say about it? Not what do I think should be. Because you know what I think? Who cares? But I want to know what does God think about it? What is God's way? What is God's rightness? That's what I want to conform my mind to. Psalm 119, you can just read that this week. Psalm 119, even verse 89, the psalmist says, Lord, in your law, I find my delight. But listen, it's plural, in your law, I find my delights. Delights, plural. I could say I love God's word, but I love pie. I love kayaking. I love lots of things. But do I loves this? See, bad English. But this should be my loves. This should be the thing that my heart beats with. All right. Not only true, noble, and just, but let's talk the next one. Pure. Pure thoughts. Uh, hey, do we even need an explanation of this one? Pure means undefiled, not contaminated with sin, Think about this, David, King David. He knows true thoughts. He knows noble thoughts. He's the king of Israel. He was put in charge of Israel while King Saul was still king. He knows out of his loins, one of his descendants will be the Messiah, the eternal king, the forever God king that sits on the throne. Pretty awesome truth, pretty noble truth, pretty just truth. But when it comes to purity, he's up on his, he's up on his palace tower looking around. He should be at battle. He should be at war. And he, he spots a beautiful woman bathing. And you can get the idea. And he begins to think impure thoughts. I mean, come on. David's got plenty of wives. 
He's got way more than one. And he just wants one more. Impure thoughts. Look at what it led to. Deceit, murder, his baby dying. Oh, tragic, tragic, tragic consequence. Why? Because he was having defiled thoughts. He was, he was impure in his thoughts. What if, hey, what if he had been up on the top and he was thinking true thoughts and thought, I'm the king of Israel. God chose me to lead this, his nation of people. Noble thoughts. It's a serious thing to be able to command justice with the people. Just things. What does God say about how I am to rule his kingdom? And then when it comes to pure things and he spots Bathsheba, what could he have done? Oh boy, I, I, you know what? I'm in the wrong spot, the wrong time. This is going to destroy me. It's going to destroy my, empire, my kingdom. It's going to destroy God's testimony. I will not think about impure things. And then he leaves. He goes back to battle and, be, and wins a war, whoever they were fighting that day. Now that would be a whole different story. Of course, we wouldn't have Solomon and all sorts of other things, but that's just how God works. God uses even evil for good. The percentage of Christians the percentage of Christians viewing pornography is huge. It's huge. I read an article a couple years ago. It said three-fourths of evangelical pastors view pornography once a week. Can you imagine? How do you, how do you watch that and then stand and proclaim God's message to his people? Three-fourths, if that's true, Can you go one day on social media or TV or movies and not see something that's defiled? Could you go one day and watch eight hours or ten hours of that type of stuff and not ever see a defiled scene? Yes or no? You can't. You can't. So how much does God allow? I love, the, I love God's word. Therefore, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever... Whatever so things are kind of pure. No, what does he say? Pure. Is 99.9% pure? No. And not even for ivory. It's not. Is that ivory? Yeah, there you go. Pure. Well, we don't need to go any longer. I think you get the message. Lovely. Oh, what a word. Hey, you guys. The word lovely, it is the word used. It means to pursue brotherly love and graces to pursue, to seek after, to chase after, to run after brotherly kindness and brotherly love. Our mind, the rut that, should we be, that we should be on is looking for the best in others. It is looking for others like with brotherly love. It is, not, it is the opposite of friction and division. It is the opposite of friction and animosity. All right? So if you want to think lovely thoughts, it's different than friction and animosity. It could be lovely as in beautiful, 
But the idea of that word in, in the Greek is the idea of to pursue, to pursue the well-pleasing, to pursue the good in others, to seek after that. It's the whole idea of being critical. You know, it's, just, it's so easy to be critical, isn't it? There was, Melissa told me this illustration. I don't even know where you heard it, Melissa, but I meant to ask you that this morning. Um, but there was an illustration Melissa shared with me, I don't know, a while ago, and I just, it just caught my attention. There was a man that was sitting outside at the edge of a village of its village limits. And a family came up to the village and talked to the man. I'm going to say it wrong, but I'm just going to tell it like I remember it. And the, the, man, the uh, family comes up and says, this, hey, sir, tell me, what kind of village is this? We want to raise our family in, in your village. So what kind of village do you have here? And the man at the, at the city limits said, well, what, what, kind of, what kind of village did you come from? And the, the family, the man said, oh, Everybody, those neighbors were stinky. They were bad, and everybody, everybody was sarcastic and critical and mean, and uh, they're all, you know, that's the kind of place. We want to go to a place where we can really raise our family with joy and peace, but that's where we came from. The village, the village man said, oh, this village is the same way. You don't want to stay here. Don't stay here. And the family left. Another family comes on the road to this man, and, and the man says, oh, what are you doing here? And the, and the family said, oh, we want to grow our family and raise our family in your village. What kind of village do you have here? And the man said, well, what kind of village did you come from last? And they said, oh, it was just wonderful. It was peaceful. We cared for our neighbors. They cared for us. We loved each other. We helped each other. We did this. We did that. It was really a pleasant place to live. And he said, this is the exact same kind of place. You're welcome to come here. Isn't it true? You come in one way, and that's what you'll see. You come in a different way. It's a different rut for the next 200 miles. It's what you see. All right? It's what you see. So lovely thoughts are, what kind of village do you see here? What kind of village do you see in your home? And then the last one, good report. If it's a good report, this is the word that means to build up. To listen to a report that builds up others and doesn't tear them down. It's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's the only other time it's used in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what Paul says. I'm going to have to paraphrase it for you, but Paul says this to the Corinthians. Hey, I want to tell you what my ministry was characterized by. My ministry was characterized by sleepless nights, days in prison. Oh, um, I was hungry at times. At times I was, you know, on and on. I had to labor all night. My fingers kind of bled because of all the work I had to do. All that. So he's telling them all about his ministry. And then he gets down to verse 8 and he says, My ministry is characterized by... Honor and dishonor at the exact same time. While some are honoring me, I've got a whole group of people dishonoring me at the exact same time. That's what ministry is like. It's the paradox of ministry. Then he says, at the very same time, I have good report and evil report. Some people are giving me good report. Some people are giving me evil report. That's what they see in me. And then he goes on and he says, um, my whole ministry is characterized by these paradoxes of People loving me and hating me. People hearing my message, people rejecting my message. It's all the, and it happens all at the same time. And so if you're thinking thoughts of good report, you're, you're thinking of the very best in another. You're, again, it's similar to lovely, but it's, you're listening to good speech, fair speech. Now, that's what we're to be thinking about. You put your mind on that. Like everything that you, think about that this week. When you're thinking of things, you pass it through this list of six. 
And you think, is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? If it is, I'm going to dwell on it. By the way, can I tell you what you dwell on? God's word and Jesus. That's it. I mean, that's not it, but you take every thought captive. You get frustrated. You get a little upset. You, you, you stop and you think about the cross. You think about Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. You think about our home in heaven and all the time we're going to have there together. And then the frustration dissipates, the joy returns, and your peace comes. There's just a peace of, you know what? God's in control. He, this isn't the first time around the block for him. He's been through the church before. It's been going for 2,000 years. Before this, he had Israel. He's got lots of practice with humanity. He's in charge. He's good, right? Isn't that cool? That, that, that's the attitude that we can have. If there be anything virtuous of moral excellence, if there be anything praiseworthy, think about these things. Now, that's, so God tells us what to think. Now God's going to tell us what to do. Here's what he says to do, and here's where I end. Verse 9. The things which you learned. So while Paul was with them, he taught them things. He says, Philippians, when I was with you, I came out of prison. The jailer's family washed my stripes, and then I spent some time with you in Lydia's house. Um, Those things that I taught you, that you learned, do them. Obey them. The things which you received and heard. Things that he maybe taught more in a formal fashion. And then things that you saw in me. How you, when you watched me in the marketplace, when you watched me here and there. These are the things I want you to do, Paul says. Now, Paul is setting himself up as a pattern for us to follow. But he did, notice what he did not say. Can I, let me have your attention for two more minutes, please. He did not say, follow me all the time in every way with every word. Because was Paul a sinner? You bet. Did he have some flaws? Did he have some personal issues? Did he have some emotional issues? You bet he did. You bet he did. He didn't say, follow me no matter what. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So as I'm following Christ, you pattern yourself after that. When I'm not following my, your Christ or my Christ, don't follow me, but follow me when I'm following Christ. So here it is, very quickly. All of us need to have patterns to follow. We need to have patterns to follow. And hopefully and likely they're in our church because that's who we hang around with. So we need to see each, we need to see patterns of godliness and this kind of thinking. But not only that, we need to be a pattern. Because if you're going to do those things, like if you do the things of the Apostle Paul, do you know what you become? A pattern for others to follow. So all of us need to be following somebody else's pattern. Plus, you are setting a pattern for others to follow. Others are going to imitate you and your diligence and your faithfulness and your time in the word, your time in prayer. And if that's the kind of church you want, then that's the kind of example you set. You raise the bar higher, what happens to the church? The pattern goes up. You lower the standard, what happens? The pattern goes down, right? So study this for coming up, the book of Titus. Titus is telling you basically this. This is going to be our next book. After Philippians, next Sunday is my last week in Philippians. Start studying Titus. Here's what Titus says. Paul says to Titus, Titus, do those churches in Crete want to improve? Do they want to get better? Do they want to be a better church? The answer, what's the answer? Yes or no? Yes. So then Paul says, okay, here's what you need to do. You want to be a better church? Here's what you need to do. 
put it into practice. It's like, it's like a great game manual. It's like a good coaching manual. And so we're going to be in Titus pretty soon. So start reading the three chapters, 56 verses, and it's about half the size of Philippians. Philippians, I think, is 104, 104 verses, but it's going to be a great study um, as, we, as we look to it. Now, last thing. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Continue to do these all the time. And here's the promise. The God of peace will be with you. Notice, he's going to give you peace. You're thinking right and you're doing right, you get peace. If you're thinking right and doing wrong, you're miserable. You're thinking right, doing right. Thinking right, doing right. Take your mind captive. Be serious, noble, just, right, true thinkers. Lovely, good report thinkers. Praiseworthy things, virtuous things. Anything that's not like that, get rid of it. I'm serious. Get rid of it. Throw the book away. Throw the movie away. Um, Get rid of it. It's all it's going to do is contaminate you. By the way, you know what it's going to do? Put you on another rut, and then how many miles down the road are you going to get that thing? You'll be there for 200 more miles. Pick your rut. Choose it carefully. What a text. Father, we pray that you would use this text with all of Philippians, but with all of Scripture, the whole counsel of Scripture. You are teaching us to have this joy return and fill our soul and our church, and it's going to come about by our thought. The battleground is in the arena of the mind. And Father, while I've been preaching, I think Satan's been busy distracting people and um, we need to get focused and think about the truth and these things. Help us, Father, to pass the things that we do in our life through these various characteristics that we'd have joy and peace that the world does not understand. Then you will bless beyond measure the ministry being done in your name. So I pray that you would bless Faith Baptist, bless the ministry, further the ministry. May there be an excitement and a fire that just explodes in our community as we obey and set ourselves up as a pattern and follow those who do as well. We just love you so much. And Father, if there's anybody here that is not a believer, they don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that you would show them that it is by faith alone, not by works, not by religion, but by trusting Jesus alone for eternal life. We thank you for our time in the word. Amen. All right. I have a... uh